Uh, it's nice to be back on on uh, Escape from Plan A. I took a little break last week. How how'd you guys did you guys miss me? It was total chaos. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was on the uh, Model Majority pod. Um, in case uh, the listeners don't know about that, you guys should go check it out. It's a cool Great podcast. Pod. So Great pod. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So also last week we hung out at your rooftop teen, right? Yeah, waning days of the summer spent on the rooftop in Brooklyn. It's very nice, right? Yeah, and uh, hello to Sam and Millie. Uh, if you guys are listening, uh, they joined us. Same with Sean. Uh, hi, you guys. But yeah, that was fun, except uh, Teen uh, is moving out of this apartment. So pretty much it was completely emptied out. And <laughs> But I thought that since you knew we were coming over, that you'd keep at least a few utensils and, and stuff there. But Nothing. I'm nothing. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but Mr. Uh, Perfect Score on the SAT decided that he was not going to leave a single thing behind, and we ended up having to cut limes for our drinks with a hacksaw. That's all I had. I had a tool. I had a toolbox there, so yeah. So you probably all gave us tetanus, and we're going to wake up uh, with our jaws nah. jaws locked shut. At at worst, there might have been some like plasterboard or like drywall flakes in in our drinks, but yeah, get, get, get some be good okay. vitamin vitamin drywall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but it was cool, man. Um, it was just—it's just been a good summer for hanging out. We've been meeting a lot of people um, here in New York, Jess. Jess, when you get, get time, you should come out here and just hang out. It's like a pretty nice little—you know—it's pretty nice little crew that uh, that's been forming in New York and stuff. And there's just a lot of a lot of other podcasters in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's, it's New cool. York. It's you guys need help. <laughs> it's a passive aggressive attack from an Angelina. You guys need help. You guys need firefighters. Jesus. I mean, it's 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 actually kind of surreal. Um, you can kind of see the sky. The sky. I, I'm nowhere near any of the fires, um, but you can already see the the sky is tinted by all the smoke that's in the atmosphere. So it's and it's bad. So when it's like this, it means that the next time, if it happens to rain, uh, then like plants will start dying. It'll be so acidic. Yeah, it's the end of the world over there. End of the world's going to start on the west and slowly make its way east. So we're going to be cool. We're we're good. Yeah, you know, apocalypse movies—they kind of go—they kind of go half and half. Some of them start in Los Angeles. Some of them start in New York, and they kind of meet in the middle. There's some like generic like cornfield in Kansas with a shocked white person, but they still stay within the U.S., which I find interesting. Like I feel like the next wave of of uh, apocalypse movies is actually going to show like people invading Canada. Yeah, yeah, Canada's going to become the most uh, valuable land on Earth. Yeah, and because we're racist, yeah. we're not going to be invading Mexico. No, that's what happens at the end of uh, the day after tomorrow. All the Americans flood into Mexico. Really? Oh, the poetic justice of Americans trying to cross the border into Mexico. Ooh, so spicy. Oh, one, one random thing I want to talk about. So, do you guys know this thing called tripophobia? Yes, it's fucked up. Okay, Jess, do you know what this is? No. Okay, uh, right now on your computer, look up Lotus Pod and tell me, give us your like instant reaction. Oh, this is the one where you see like a bunch of perforations and your skin yeah. kind of crawls? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I get that. Yeah. Because uh, I've always had this irrational fear of sunflowers. Uh, oh, really? Which, so you oh, have it yeah. deep. Uh, and then I was told that that was a symptom of trypophobia. I, don't, I just don't like sunflowers because I think it has to do with the fact that when I was very young, I, I love Tom and Jerry, the cartoon. And in one episode, um, they're in, I think, like some, like, it's kind of like this, like, kind of like racist cartoon. They're like in some cre- creepy African-like land. And there's like this giant sunflower-like thing on the ground that eats humans if you step on it. So it's like a gigantic a carnivorous plant. So I think when I see like a big 
uh, sunflower with the big eye. It reminds me of that. But then uh, someone told me that that's actually trypophobia, and I was shown the picture of the lotus pod, and I was just like, "Oh fuck!" Uh, and it, it just freaked the he- me hell out. But Wait, so, I don't so think you have it, you have it then. To me, it's not really about the holes. It's really about the fact that it looks like like diseased flesh. Well, isn't that what it is though? Trip- trypophobia is that it's like evoking that feeling. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at the description, yeah, they say something like 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 perforations or like small holes. Uh, closely together, but I don't look at a, you know, for example, a golf ball. That doesn't creep me out. I I, I don't look at a honeycomb. Like, Ugh. but if you look at something like a lotus pod, it, it looks like smallpox or something. Like like somebody with a horrible disease. That's I think yeah. that's what people like. You sort are... of picture your own skin erupting oh, yeah. in like it's horrible oils or something. Oh, it's, just, yeah. it's like it's awful. Yeah, I remember. Um, did, do you guys remember Zoo Books? Did you have those as kids? Zoo Books was that a magazine? Yeah, it was a magazine for kids. It, it came like weekly or monthly or something, and it just have a picture of a. It's like a profile of a particular animal. Yeah, it's like kind of like highlights, right? Or or the kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah I think yeah, I remember I seeing that in the library. I think anyway, yeah. Yeah, so I remember. Yeah, like one one edition of that had this super blown up high resolution picture of uh, a fly's eyeball. Oh oh oh. Oh, oh yeah. I love flies eyeballs. They're so cool. Oh, shut up. It's no, it's really cool. They look badass. Uh but go yeah, uh, go on. They're really neat. I mean, I I guess I can I can appreciate the uh the the miracle of nature that is a flies eyeball, but I like 5-year-old me got fucked up the on that one. F out. Y'all are messed up, man. Oh, you want to call us messed up? We can tug at that thread. <laughs> I'm looking up flies eyeballs right now. They look pretty cool if you ask me. Yeah, I, no, in like Avatar 2, they should make like a giant lotus pod that like eats people. That would just freak everyone out so badly. It would freak out like one third of the audience, and then the other two thirds would be like, "Dude, you're messed up." <laughs> it's scary. Well, it looks like maggots are growing out of your, you know. It, it just yeah. it oh, looks yeah, like keep a going. it looks like yeah. a bot fly infection. I had. Oh um, yeah. I had a. Yeah, I, re- I remember being like obsessed with uh, like like those YouTube videos. Yeah. Where, where they squeeze where maggots they, out of dogs? Like, like, oh, what? Oh, God. What? Oh yeah. my God! Well, I had a my 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 cat had a I had a bot fly infection. Please don't describe this. I'm gonna describe it in full. Uh, no. <laughs> and uh, there was a lot of. Okay. At, at this point, I think every listener has stopped listening uh, out of pure disgust. So. Oh, uh, that's because <laughs> they can't handle life. Escape. From Plan A. They aren't really Negro leaders. These are puppets that have been put in front of the Negro community by white liberals. These are parrots that have been put in front of the Negro community by white liberals. You can't name me a Negro leader who has been a Negro leader who has been betray- who has betrayed Negroes, who is not who has not been endorsed, sanctioned, uh, subsidized, and supported by the white liberals. The only Negro I know who is constantly fought, only Negro politician that I know who is constantly fought by white liberals is Adam Clayton Powell. And they call him a racist because he speaks so bluntly on the race issue. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Escape from Plan A, Plan A Magazine's podcast. I'll be your host tonight, Oxford Condo, and tonight I'm joined by the very lovely teen. (laughs) Hello, everyone. And the even more lovely Jess. Oh, thank you. Hi, everyone. All right. And this week, we want to talk about a topic that's been taking up a lot of just like airwave uh, and just print space lately. And it's the whole like Sarah Jong, New York Times 
controversy. And uh, Tin, you want to just, uh, in case anyone doesn't know Tin, uh, why don't you give us some background information on, on what this is all about? Yeah, I mean, I think, so Sarah Jong is, you know, she's a young woman, 30 years old. Um, and she was recently hired to the editorial board at the New York Times. So that's like the board that's in charge of the opinion section. And, you know, sometimes the, the paper will write, you know, a sort of unified position by the editorial staff of on a, you know, say a, a candidate or a, a political position. So it's a, you know, it's a pretty big job um, at, at probably the most prestigious uh, paper in the country. And so they announced her hire along with a bunch of others. She, I think, had previously been or maybe is currently writing about technology at The Verge. She kind of covers the intersection of technology and, you know, society and stuff. And then the moment she's hired, I guess people who didn't like this, you know, who didn't like that she was hired had had dug up tweets from four years ago where she had like a series of and they were all taken out of context, so it's kind of hard to tell what exactly had prompted these tweets. But, you know, on the surface, on the face of it, they were pretty awful, saying stuff like, you know, she's disturbed by how much joy she takes in, in, in making old white men suffer and cancel white people and, you know, just, uh, just a, you know, a bunch of stuff very targeted at white people. And that, of course, set off like a whole rage fest online. And the proportions of it have been pretty big. It's it's not a small thing. It was on the front page of Fox and Breitbart and all the right wing stuff. Um, and it just kind of alarmed me because, you know, I saw Ann Coulter saying, oh, my God, even the Asians like capital, you know, every letter, the Asians can bash white dun, people, dun, dun. you know? Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, yet again, you know, with, it's it reminded me it brought me back a little bit to the Chipao incident where. Suddenly, you know, Asian Americans are dragged back into the mainstream, into the into the spotlight, unwillingly by not on our own terms, and asked to def, you know to to pilloried in public and then asked to explain ourselves or something. So that's kind of yeah. the background. Before we go on any further, I think it should make it very clear that whatever like criticism we have of like Sarah Jong, we definitely do not condone any of like the especially like the racist and sexist attacks against her, which I think show the very limits of of like. Uh, what happens when like an Asian woman dares to, I guess, step a little out of line with, with what's uh, expected of her? And I, I was just thinking a lot of the, the kind of like alt-right white guys who are calling her all sorts of horrific uh, names. How many of those are the ones who look at like a Esther Koo tweet and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, like we, we like you, go Esther. Oh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. There's no, there's no, I'm not, there's no um, consistency or anything like this on the, you know, by those who attack and you don't even have to step out of line. They'll, you know, the, the, the environment online for Asian people is incredibly toxic. And yeah, she was getting, people were sending her tweets saying like she was a dog eating gook and they wanted to punch her in her lesbian face, which apparently she's not a lesbian. So that was a weird tweet, but you get the point. Like it, this, this came out within, in an environment where, you know, there's toxicity just all around. It's just an overall racist, shitty environment. Yeah, and just like when this uh, story just broke, and I think before we got a real sense of of what where the outrage was going to come from and, and who's going to take what side, you had a very uh, a strong reaction to this. So you want to talk more about that? Yeah, I mean, this was, I, I think I, 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 I talked to you guys, like, it was like the day she, her hiring had been announced. Uh, and before these tweets were dug up. Right, just simply the announcement. Oh, yeah, that's right. we, so we didn't even know all about we the knew tweets, at that yeah. point is that this young uh, Asian American woman uh, got hired to the editorial board. Um, so I was actually 
we didn't know about the tweets. We didn't know anything. And it's just from, you know, that hire that set off a warning bell in my own head. Uh, so I was actually, I was starting to be really, really afraid of uh, what this, what this kind of symbolized. Um, and this was, this was, again, before anything had broken about, about the series of tweets that she had. My complaint for that one, uh, for that one blissful day when it was just literally just that, the fact of her announcement, um, was that, uh, I did not, I did not think that she was, uh, fully qualified to sit on the editorial board. That was my reservation, that it was a, it was a young woman, uh, I believe, uh, probably one of the youngest, uh, to sit on in a position of importance in at, at such an important paper, uh, and given given her track record, uh, I think her early journalism I followed and I found it quite principled and well informed. Uh, she had written she'd written uh, some some pieces about a uh, about privacy, which I agreed with. Uh, she followed an important court case. I forget the the details of it, but I remember thinking this is this was solid work. Uh, and then she moved to The Verge, and then it became, uh, it, it just, it, it wasn't really hitting home for me. I mean, I work in tech myself. Uh, we are in the same age range. Uh, we come from a, a very similar background, except uh, where she went to law school, I just continued in uh, in more tech uh, areas. Uh, I just had reservations, uh, c considering she had been hired at about the same time as two other uh, figures in the tech scene. Uh, one is uh, Kara Swisher, who was formerly of, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, and I think she had she has another she has her own platform as well. And Sarah Fowler, uh, a, a programmer herself, who recently came to fame as the whistleblower for Uber. Uh, and compared to those two figures in the uh, in the tech scene. Uh, Sarah Jung stuck out to me, um, and it wasn't it, it, something wasn't quite right about why this this particular person uh, in this particular space had been put in that in a position like that. Uh, so that was my reservation, just 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 trying to think through why why this person at this particular time at this paper, uh, this this just something just something felt like it was going to happen, and I didn't know what. And then then the next days. Uh, that's when ev that's when everything kind of blew up around her. When all these tweets were dug up, you know, past journalism was questioned. You know, everything down to her appearance, everything was was brought up, and that started this online war. And then in being there, kind of watching how this fight emerged, I really, it was it was kind of an upsetting pattern uh, to see to see what what I was seeing. Uh, maybe you guys can tell me if it, this sounds completely off, but. Uh, all the all the attacks focused on her, right? Her tweets, whatever motivation she had, and I wanted to actually take a step back. Oh, I have a hard time believing the New York Times didn't know a reaction like this was going to happen. Uh, I believe, I believe, uh, there's no no way in this current media climate, there is no way that someone didn't know that this would ignite a firestorm like that. We know for a fact that they knew the they knew about the tweets. No, not only that, but. Quinn Norton had was wasn't it for this exact same position and like the exact same thing basically happened to her and they had to fire her in like seven hours after announcing it. Right, uh, her situation was kind of uh, and this is anything and I it's hard it's hard to not say that race didn't play a factor in this, except in a very in the white uh, liberal sense as opposed to a white conservative uh, sense. So Qu Quinn Norton was uh, also. I believe she was also hired uh, in an editorial position at the New York Times, and then it came out that uh, she, it was almost a very similar job, yeah, like opinion writer. At, yeah, uh, covering yeah. Tech. 
Yeah. Yeah, but definitely more more than just a, a writer on the ground. She had she was being elevated into a position of some leadership in uh, in the paper, and it turned out that she had an acquaintance with uh, Weave, uh, a notorious uh, yeah. you know, a literal like Nazi uh, troll who's infamous in tech circles. Uh, and I believe she also had, uh, yeah, so, so online reaction to that spun out of, uh, out of control and the New York Times chose to just let her go. I don't know if she actually ever, uh, was able to accept the position. It looks like, uh, she just got terminated before she even, uh, she even really accepted the job. Um, and then you look at, and, you, and then you look at Sarah Jong's case. Now you see a young Asian woman. Uh, in about the same position, but this time going after uh, going after white people, and it's hard not to see her being used as uh, as a shield by a white liberal media, the white liberal media establishment. A shield against what? A shield against other white people, against the white racists, against the white alt right. Also, you think uh, they're using her to uh, make themselves look so good because they're willing to you know call out other white people but they're gonna use this asian woman to do it and then use her as a shield right and also in in the process they grant her institutional protection for what she did but they also allow her to uh take full responsibility for it and honestly i mean you look at the tweets uh, I mean, anybody with two brain cells to rub together knows the context, right? Not, not in any seriousness. Uh, just, just yeah, exactly. That's flippant. Yeah, uh, just flippant white bashing, as is you know commonplace and fashionable in a certain uh, white liberal set. Uh, casually, you know, me- dropping mentions of how much she hates, you know, white people. But none of it is 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 activism. None of it is actually a rallying cry for, you know, white genocide or what have you. It's simply it's performative. It's it. So it's and it's from a very young person. So they allowed though that kind of not seriousness to be amplified because once you are an editor of the new york times whatever you say does take on an era an aura of importance and responsibility you do need to be held responsible so why do they elevate this person why do they magnify that why are we supposed to take that kind of uh offhand off the cuff joking around seriously so and it's and it falls on the shoulders of everyone else to defend that or to account for what, what for do you th- that. what do you think is motivating the New York Times though okay I think they needed uh, they wanted to hi- clearly they wanted to hire uh, underrepresented figures uh, to this this uh, this tech uh, section of the paper I don't really know how uh, papers work internally as far as leadership structure and you know how that goes but it seems pretty clear from the recent hires that they were looking to hire women now they have two white women already two very established respected figures uh and actually if it weren't for sarah jong sarah fowler would have uh, would have come under fire as well she's a whistleblower for uber she has enemies within within tech as an industry if sarah jong weren't so easy people would have come after her and you look through Sarah Fowler's tweets. Uh, I mean, there are casual mentions. Of- She's the one who like had blown the whistle on like rampant har- harassment and toxic culture at at Uber. Right? Yeah, and her Twitter. And she's also mm-hmm. a young woman, a young white woman, uh, and she is she's very much a liberal as well. So, uh, so if you look at her Twitter Twitter feed, um, it's not it's not that much different from Sarah Jong's. 
uh, to be honest. I don't know what might have gotten scrubbed before, you know, scrutiny got applied, or maybe there wasn't any, but in in feel, she is there. The two of them are very much equivalent in terms of their uh, media presence prior to taking on this position of leadership. Uh, but Sarah John was just so easy. She was able to take the heat for all of it. No one, no one challenged Kara Swisher. I mean, she's unchallengeable. Every she is an OG. She absolutely deserves <laughs> the position she has received. Like, and it also sucks as an Asian woman to be saying, "Yeah, the two white chicks deserved the position, and this Asian chick didn't." It sucks to be in that position as well, where I'm ad, where I'm saying, like, "Yeah, these two people are unquestionably." Uh, I would support that, but this this person, I just I can't, and it it sucks to be in that position. Yeah, I I want to delve deeper into that because you've talked about now this affecting your everyday life at yeah. work, right? I mean, she's Sarah Jung is she's supposed to be re- representing uh, my industry, right? Despite not being a a, a programmer, not having worked herself in the industry so far as i can tell i know her journalism is very informed but that's still that's still somewhat of a removed perspective from being an on the ground uh grunt uh and moving up in the ranks in within the industry so her but she's but she's put in a position to be speaking about it re- representing people like me i mean we are both uh, we're both Asian American women. We both have similar educational backgrounds and we both are in. So it's hard not to be painted with whatever brush she got painted with. Yeah. And you told us about times when you, you were like with white male coworkers and they would joke, oh, don't worry, guys, like she doesn't hate us or something. right? Yeah. I mean, the per- the coverage was so pervasive that it that it I mean, everyone, everyone I work with reads, you know, is intimately acquainted with the internet and lives on it so they it's hard for them to i imagine all of them were following along with this so they see this uh, asian woman and her tweets taken out of context blown out of proportion and taken to mean that you know she's she's racist against white people hates white men um hates whiteness in general uh and and i I guess i walked the door the, the following day and they're like hmm i wonder what's i wonder what jess is thinking I wonder how she feels about us. So, I mean, walking into a meeting and then having and then having a little joke saying, oh, no, don't worry, guys, she doesn't hate us, which puts me in a very, very strange ass position. Honestly, if The New York Times elevated Sarah Jong to be an advocate uh, for, say, underrepresented you know, minorities in this industry, they sure did a very fine job if that's the reaction I'm getting because she got hired. <laughs> I mean, Teen, you wrote about this in your in your article, the problem with Sarah Jong. But I think the thing that really I think it, it like irritates or even angers us is, is the thing is that she doesn't really hate whiteness, and you can tell because she's doing this to join in on, on like the typical kind of like Twitter uh, social liberal crowd in which you you bash you know whites, but it's like a very um, distinct uh, tribe of whites. It's not your whites, and it's kind of obvious to do that. And for her to now get this uh, institutional uh, protection from kind of like the grandest white liberal institution of them all, the New York Times, but then leave the actual Asian Americans to fend for ourselves. I mean, that's that's kind of fucked up. Yeah, yeah it's totally fucked up because I, I, I see the defenses of Sarah Jung and to the point where it's, it's you know, there's a call to not, not abuse her based on her race and gender absolutely i'm not saying she deserves any of that that level of abuse 
Uh, and But I'm also saying, why did the New York Times set her up like this? Why did they set up Asian Americans? I mean, it's hard for me not to also think this is a Harvard Law School graduate. While, you know, is it a coincidence that they, that they put her in this position while a lawsuit against Harvard litigating affirm- the, the, the presence of Asians on, in Harvard's campus is going on? Right. The, if you start to oh, yeah, draw the that, yeah. draw the lines, it gets really, really strange. We're talking about a, a an, now we're talking about an actual product of this Harvard system, an Asian product of this being held up like being held up to media scrutiny like this. What are you supposed to think when the next column, when you know you hear about Sarah Jung, you hear about this brouhaha, and sometime later you hear you know they report on the affirmative action case going on at Harvard. You know, you know what's a you know what's a clue as to what what the New York Times might be thinking is when they hired her. I didn't notice that they said anything about her being Asian American. Um, it just talked about how she's young and brilliant. But then when they released a response to the tweets, then they brought it up. They said, as a you know young Asian American woman, she's going to face a lot of stuff online. And then they they brought up all the harassment that she faced as a not you know as a as a woman of color and i just you know that that the fact that they'll they won't mention it in the hire but they will mention it in the defense shows the ways in which people's identities are being used as shields by institutions so i do agree with that they're using her as a shield angle because i see it a lot they don't say anything about you know oh you know the merits upon which we hire you are totally irrelevant to your identity but the second we get attacked, the second, you know, oh, the second we have to step in and explain something that you did, you know, something, something awful that you said, then they start, they, then they'll use that, the ethnicity, which is this, that's, that's the part of it that I, I think may be motivating some of this, these types of hires, to be honest. I know that sounds really shitty because it's like, I'm calling, I'm basically calling into question, like, the, you know, whether Sarah Jong is qualified or whether they hired her simply because she's Asian. But I think we do need to um, sometimes be open to that idea because I'm seeing that in, at least in very public positions, that that's happening. I don't think, I don't know how far that goes. I don't know for just regular work, you know, just regular positions outside of the public eye, whether that's a, a, a thing. I've never, I don't really experience that, but for this kind of thing, editorial board at the New York Times, or when Mitch McConnell was being, like another example is Mitch McConnell being attacked by, I think when he was going for re-election in Kentucky, um, he was being attacked by um, a, a, a woman, I forgot her name, but she she was the Democratic nominee and she started attacking his record uh, on women's issues. And then he had Elaine Chow come in and start calling her, you know, um, uh, a racist, uh, you know, all this stuff. And it just, I don't know, the whole thing was just, Really weird the way they the way that the establishment will use people's identities um, to protect themselves. And it's protecting themselves. That's one of the worst things I found in the in the in all the voluminous defenses uh, of Zhang, the so-called defenses. It's that there's it's being very very dishonest about what she is supposed to stand for and who's fighting whom. I notice in a lot of the defenses they say. They pretend that Sarah, first of all, they pretend that Sarah was actually speaking to a disadvantaged minority audience when she did that. And I don't doubt that there are 
uh, that there were uh, Asian women, Asian men, you know, people of color, women who were following along when she was on that uh, on that streak about white people and whiteness and white culture, white demographics, all of that. But let's be real here. She's actually speaking to a very white liberal agenda predominantly to white liberals. So then to have the defenses say she's, no, she's speaking truth to power, you know, rallying a disadvantaged minority base, you know, and this is why we need to defend, you know, her right to have said what she did. Like, no, she's not speaking truth to power. She's trying to establish her own bona fides in this elite liberal set. She's saying all the right things for to protect that. And if you take the case of, of Naomi Wu on top of that, Right, how she how she handled herself in the Naomi Wu incident. She's not she's not really going that far out of her way to defend minority rights or minority anything. Wait, wait. Let's uh, describe what that Naomi Wu incident is because I, I don't think a lot of listeners might I, not. I, know, I mentioned so. the Naomi thing in my article, and it would I I, I had um, she Naomi had put on a, an article on Medium, kind of ex- explaining her side of it, but essentially. The, the background of it's a little complicated. It doesn't, let's just, let's just put it this way. Naomi Wu, who is a tech, a pretty well-known, uh, tech blogger and YouTuber in China was in a pretty, you know, it's a pretty, she was, she was in a fight with someone, uh, I think Jason Kobler advice over something complicated. Okay. It doesn't really matter what it is. Let's just say Jason Kobler really pissed off Naomi Wu. And race and gender were at least pertinent to this to this conflict. And uh, Sarah Jong, who I think uh, knows Kobler, came in and just just basically suppressing and 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 saying that Naomi Wu uh, stop pretending like you know this is some fight against white supremacy. Uh, Naomi Wu, Vice Media doesn't owe you shit. I'm a Harvard Law student. There was no contract. You know, like this kind of like. 1L legal <laughs> bullshit. I made law review. Um, if anything made me question Sarah Jong, uh, it wasn't really those tweets about white people because as both of you said, like, you know, we see that stuff all the time and like it's obvious what she really meant, right? But the stuff against Naomi Wu, I was like, see, that's that's this again in action. It's like you got a white dude, Jason Kobler, that's being attacked by an Asian woman and he's got no out. Like everything he says, Naomi's kind of got it the, that she's, she's, she's like, you don't understand. You don't under, you know, you don't understand anything about what it's like to be a woman in tech. You don't understand anything about what it's like to be a, you know, person of color in tech. You don't know China. You don't know anything. What are you talking about? And then you get Sarah Jong coming and she's just like, ha ha. Look, all right. Korea, China, basically the same thing. Which is what she said, right? She's like, oh my god, it was the worst. She basically pulled, you know, my best friend is black. It was that level of an of a justification. Yeah, she's basically. I asked someone who is Chinese, and mm-hmm. she said, "You're full of shit. Therefore, you are full of shit." Yeah, and <laughs> exactly. It's and 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 Naomi can't employ the same attack on Sarah Jong. Sarah Jong has quote the same identity, at least in the eyes of Americans. And so this white guy can kind of back off and just let an Asian woman come and fight his fight for him, which is a tactic. That is a tactic that, you know, like I've I've talked to women in my life who have told me, hey, listen, if anything ever happens in um, in the public, if you get into an argument with a woman, you know, you got to make sure that you that it's a woman who comes into 
to resist that. Like, you never, as a man, want to be seen fighting with a woman, you know? Yeah, no-win situation. It's a no-win situation. So as a dude, you back down. That's just what you do, you know? And if you really need defense, you need a woman to come, you know, come in to protect you. And if it's a woman of color, you need another woman of color to come in and protect you. Uh, And speaking of, like, who does, like, Sarah Jung represent, uh, Inku Kang in Slate wrote this article defending her. And I think she was pretty honest in saying that there's something about, like, these forged communities of writers of color... That's what this is really about, right? But then it gets extended into every person of color. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but like Inku King, if you're going to go on a podcast about, you know, Isle of Dogs and when you get like, you know, tag teamed by Dana Stevens and some other white guy and then you pull out oh, the, the Asian patriarchy out of nowhere, like you're not really speaking for us. Okay, so for for like people in that community to on one hand know that this is really about them and protecting their own but then expect support from us when they really don't seem to have any connection to us is just total bullshit. Uh, yeah, I thought Inku Kang's article was pretty good. I mean, I thought it was pretty honest about Yeah, it was honest. That what was, what it, what this really was about. It was about she was like it was tightly forged online communities of of, you know, POC writers and and women writers that, you know, we have these really tight-knit communities and it's a very specialized niche community and that's where Sarah Jong's tweets were coming from. That's how they talk. That's how they whatever. Okay, that's to me fine. Clearly, this is not part of some broader Asian American thing, right? And I think that the you know, the article where it trends, where it starts to piss me off is, I think Jessica Proys. I'm not sure how that's to say her last name, but P R O I S. She's um, Asian woman at, who is, I think, an editor over at the Huffington Post, Asian Voices. Something new that they launched to try and you know, get a get some Asian rep going or whatever. And she said that she thinks that Sarah Jong's tweets were just the overflow of pent-up Asian-American rage. And I'm like, no, it's not. This has nothing to do with Asian-Americans, you know? Like, I just, I really hate it when something like this happens. And it's a pretty serious thing in the sense that it got a lot of visibility. And if you, I'd be honest, if I was Sarah Jong and I didn't, and I was looking at the things that were being said about me in the right me- the right wing media. Like I would be pretty scared. Uh, this is like no joke. It's no fucking joke. Um, and then all of a sudden, for someone, some you know, an Asian woman who kind of feels an affinity towards her or something to say, "Yeah, this is Asian American rage right there." I'm like, no, it's not. I got Asian American rage. I don't say that shit. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna legitimize that. That kind of those kind of tweets. I'm not bringing that on myself, you know. I don't want Aunt Coulter coming after me yet. I saw that defense too, and that also what pissed me off is what she said. You know that it is an expression of Asian American rage. A uh, way to go, making something more serious than it ever was, right? To begin with, and B ignoring the fact that Sarah Jung disavowed them. She yeah. disavowed. Yeah, she that. stepped back from them. She has said on she said in public and with the New York Times backing her up saying she reflected on it she didn't actually mean it. So what so you know to Jessica Pro Proes at Huffington Post what what is that what, if you want to take that exp- expression if you want to take those tweets as some expression of pent up Asian American rage what does that mean that she disavowed them then? Like, nah, it's, no, uh, white people are cool. I'm totally fine with them now. Also, Sarah Jung was like, saying this was counter you, you cannot treat it that way. She said this was satire. This isn't, rage is, does not, that, that wasn't her, like, at home exasperated after being called a dog-eating gook and she did not handle it. She, look, people who have been online, we get called shit like that all the time. Asian dudes, 
you go online, the dick jokes, the dog eating jokes, whatever. If you if you if you can stay online for for more than a month, you learn how to deal with that shit. Okay, um, Sarah Jung is definitely smart enough and savvy enough to deal with the horrendous shit because we all do. And I don't think that any of this came out of her losing control of herself or whatever. She knew exactly what she was doing. She was like, I was engaging in counter trolling. I was trying to use the language that they use against us and shoving it back in their face and saying, how you like it now? Um, and look, I, that is, it's, I'm not saying like that's even wrong. Like you could just go do that. But the aftermath, if you're going to go pork, poke the hornet's nest and get Breitbart on your ass and, you know, uh, Andrew Sullivan and all these people just, you know, jumping at, chomping at the bit, like just fucking, uh, just rabid dogs waiting for someone to provide receipts and you're dumb enough to provide receipts for them. You pay the price. You, you go in and, and suffer the consequences. Don't bring regular Asian Americans into it. Now, if she really meant what she said, if she really was that based and she really had that amount of anger and she was like, I've been abused as an Asian woman online and I'm not going to take it anymore and fuck you. And, and, I, and, and she, at this point, New York Times is like, yo, back off what you said. And she's like, no, fuck you. No. <laughs> uh, no, I meant it. And fuck all these white people. Like, if she was like that, like based, I'd be like, now this is interesting. Yeah, I think I think you have to you have to make a decision. Like, are you going to be outside the establishment? In which case, I think it's perfectly fine to do that. We see it all the time on Twitter, and hell, we kind of do it too, right? <laughs> Sometimes. Um, or are you going to be you know wanting admission into these like places? And if you are, there the thing that really I think one of the things that pissed me off most was this argument that that certain groups just should get status protection and they should be able to act any way they want because on the, you know, oppression Olympics hierarchy, they're like below a certain group. And then you, you, I saw a lot of these arguments like saying, oh, because she's a woman of color, she like she can say whatever to certain groups and, and she can be as shitty as she wants. And that's just such a weak argument. Like, I understand the principle that, yeah, like, you know, racism equals like power versus prejudice. That makes sense. But on like an emotional level, you're never going to win with an argument that says, oh, I, I can be a douchebag to you, but you can't to me because because my ideology says so. It's so weak and it can get so easily turned on you because there will always probably be another group that can undercut you. And that's why we see this constant like fetishization of suffering and victimhood. And um, I mean, we see it uh, and we see some terrible behavior out there. Like like on just an example on Asian Twitter, you, you have some, you know, some some women out there who are quite terrible. They'll tell other Asian women that they're just like ugly whores. But because they get status protection based on certain like criteria, then they get certain guys, uh, names I won't name, uh, names rhymes with Butterman, <laughs> totally just... Pro- prostrating himself before them when they order him yeah. what to do when they're the ones who spread very misogynistic uh and like uh, racist things against other asian women just because they happen to have a little disagreement and now it's like oh i got my status protection therefore i can be a total scumbag I-, I think this is the way i'm thinking about it now right if you if you think about what the new york times is in the grand scheme of things what role it plays Sarah Jong fits into those plans, right? She's part of the overall mission of the New York Times in some ways consistent with it. The purpose of the New York Times is to basically set the boundary of the discussion on the left. It's not trying to push stuff to the left. It's trying to gather stuff from the left and put in, put a certain hard stop to it. And, and the New York Times, what it needs is credibility among those on the left, but then it is going to push its main agenda, right? And the New York Times has a very sort of mainstream pro-neoliberal type of agenda, right? 
And I think that the important thing that happened here, if you really want to get into what the New York Times is doing or what its plans were, I mean, it said, it's really interesting, it said that it knew about the tweets. And I think she was set up because what the New York Times wanted to do was it wanted to make the extreme identitarian types, which I don't think she even is, by the way, but she looks like one, she sounds like one. But the ones that are out there on Twitter who who have lost faith in anything mainstream, who are, you know, ba- basically adrift in real anger, the type that Sarah Jong doesn't have, the ones that are being really truly branded by the right as neo-Marxists, as the identitarians that are going to destroy the country, the ones that, you know, police your speech, get in your face if you say anything, and do hate white men and they don't back off of that. I think what the New York Times was looking at was saying, oh, shit, the people on the right have a point. This is getting out of control. We need to extract an apology. We need to from, get the, from the from those that have gone too far, right? Oh, I and see, I think I, see. I think in a way, Sarah Jong, her youth and the fact that she's not totally up for the job yet. I'm sure she could be in five, ten years, but she's just like a writer at the verge, you know, Um and I've read some of her articles. They're not particularly interesting. She, a lot of what she says is basically rehashing stuff that more august writers have already been writing for a while. Like she's kind of doing like a basic digest of those ideas for quick, you know, quick bite type places like The Verge. Uh, I think that in a way, and then, you know, let's face it, like her appearance and her youth, the short hair and the, and the base tweets and, and her willingness to get into the ugly, ugly trenches of Twitter, make her look like one of those committed crazies, so to speak. The ones that have, you know, gotten out of control. But she has established bona fides as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. UC Berkeley, Harvard Law School. So she she seems to have the, yeah, the entire package to be presented to the audience like this but she's she was chum in the water i won't i won't say anything criticizing her or the tweets themselves that's just what people who are young do right that's what people who have a some amount of platform but not a lot this is just this is just the performance that happens to create an audience to create interest to establish a personality uh in kukan was completely correct about that the the New York Times used that just by fact the fact that they elevated it takes gives her more seriousness and importance than she ever warranted. So now we have to treat her the way we would treat a counter revolutionary or a dangerous persona, and it's it it falls flat. Nobody can properly defend her. The attacks are real because now they're now they're attacking her. Because they have to attack her under the aegis of the New York Times, but her herself, like there's there's actually nothing to defend even. So someone someone who was young and in this in this uh, hip media space did some shit. What is there to defend? There there shouldn't be anything to defend. Like millions of people do this shit on Twitter all the time. I don't think the New York Times has but any interest in her well being. I think that the again, I don't think I, so either. I think you Clearly. have to always think of the New York Times as extremely mission driven it doesn't just do things randomly it has a specific narrow purpose and you know if you look at all after the new york times extracted the apology if you look at a lot of the liberal media that kind of surrounds the new york times that are kind of like if the new york times the aircraft carrier then you've got all these little 
liberal add-ons like Slate and uh, uh, Vox. The satellite and publications. Satellite publications that sort of just turn the whole thing. It makes it look like this whole complica- complex web of independent voices. And a lot of the stuff that was defending her um, basically wrote this off as a kind of uh, temporary insanity. It's like, you know, these people... They're really young and angry. They don't mean what they say. So when they say we hate white people, they don't really mean white people. They mean the the cluelessness of white people sometimes, which is what Zach, Zachary Beauchamp wrote. I was like, what the fuck does that even mean? I think what it's doing is this co- this complex is realizing that they were losing control of the left. And uh, some of these campus identitarians or whatever really are going too far. They're, they're, these, they're starting to say bad shit about the liberals now. And the New York Times and you know has to make a move here. The the mothership has to make a move. And I think that part of that was was plucking one of them that was like you said, that has the bona fides that really could work for the New York Times, but also represents visually, audibly represents that out of control group, the the neo Marxist, so to speak, plucks one of them out. Let's her get into trouble and then makes her apologize. And that, there was just something very sacrificial about it. But, but she gets a job, you know, she gets a job out of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to have to quote uh, Rehan Salam, but he, I, I think in The Atlantic, he wrote this article called The Utility of White Bashing. And I like this quote. He says, in some instances, white bashing can actually serve as a means of assent, especially for Asian Americans. Embracing the culture of upper white self-flagellation can spur avowedly enlightened whites to eagerly cheer on their Asian-American comrades who show abstract, faceless, numberless, lower white people what for, and simultaneously allows Asian-Americans who use the discourse to position themselves as ethnic outsiders, including those who are comfortably enmeshed in elite circles. And I thought that was an apt point. And and we see this a lot with like Asian-Americans will join in on that. uh, And they'll also do the same thing with other Asian-Americans, this kind of like self-flagellation to show that they are part of the group and they attack, you know, vulnerable asian uh, like pockets within the Asian American community who can't really fight back. That would make her sort of the opposite of what she represents, right? Like she's not she's not one of these snowflake identitarians. Is that kind of what? Yeah, that's that is what she's she's that's that it's very much a performative identity mongering that she's doing. She's forging this kind of uh, she's branding herself in a certain particular way, and in those and it kind of becomes clear, you know, in the in a lot of the defenses of her. It's it's this is a white on white fight that she was just a pawn in. Seriously, it's the white it's a white liberal establishment. Look how hard they were willing to go out of their way to say no. She doesn't actually hate white people. Mm-hmm. She just hates the same white people we do. <laughs> we hate we hate the Trump white people. She's one of us. Don't worry. It's them and their fucking Thanksgiving complexes, like all the uncles and aunts they hate from you know back in their podunk towns they they escape from to get to new york city because white people still can't credibly they can't the white liberals when they call out white conservatives they won't call they don't bring in race into that they bring politics they bring cultural markers you know the you know they bring in stereotypes of this particular like class-based uh attacks basically but when it actually comes down to it then the most powerful the most powerful way to slam them is to bring a person of color into this and in the current, you know, racial matrix, uh, it would be an it would be an Asian. An Asian has the uh, an Asian woman would be the best front in that fight. 
So in the defenses of Sarah, uh, defenses of Sarah Jong, you see she doesn't actually hate white people. Uh, that's that's kind of that's that kind of disrupts you know the activist tone. Like, what do you mean? What, what's what's the what's the What's the message here then? That Asians are uh, your allies? That we are willing to be complicit in this in this one form of white identity creation that you want to bring about? It's just so happens it's just okay because we hate the same white people you happen to hate. I mean, look at the look at the case contrasting Sarah Jong and Sui Park brings that even more clearly into. Oh, light. that's very true. Yeah, so Sui Park just didn't get that protection. Right. So Sui Park, I think uh, the story was um, that so Colbert on his show had made some like, you know, chinky time joke, whatever it was, uh, and it pissed her off. Now, the reason he made that joke, I actually thought was kind of good satire. He was saying, like, if the Washington Redskins can use Redskins, then I can use, you know, chinky time, chinky time. Now. There are problems with that. And, and uh, Subi Park was right to say, you know, every time you do want to say something fucked up, you always make it chinky, right? Like, this happens all the time on TV. Uh, you know, they won't say the N-word because they're not allowed. So they'll just, like, go down one <laughs> and start saying chinky chink. And she was kind of pointing that out. I think she got really angry about it. And then uh, she was basically just she, – she had put out a tweet saying cancel Colbert. And that was basically the end of her. I mean, she was just like skewered online, like destroyed, and she had no protection. And I think that the reason that she was not, you know, she was totally just destroyed was one, she was defending Asian people. She really was defending Asian people. And I feel like she had a point as an Asian American. I backed her points because she was pointing to something real. And then number two is she went after the wrong white people. She went after Stephen Colbert, you know, the one good of the whites. Good- one of the good whites. And then if you do that, you're done. You're fucking done. Because the purpose of an Asian woman is not to defend Asian people or to go after the good whites. The purpose of an Asian woman in these, you know, in these circumstances, right, is to, uh, well, it's very complicated. We bring you in, in a very particular point in the debate, in the war, in the ongoing cultural war, in the ongoing project to manage every, you know, public opinion, We'll bring in Asian women for a very special purpose. It's like, you know, right now we need an Asian woman for this purpose. Or we need an Asian man or a black man or a black woman. You get brought in for a limited purpose and then you get disposed of. I mean, I'm telling you, Sarah Jong's not going to – I mean, her voice at this point in the New York Times is not going to be a relevant one. I mean, every time she writes something even close to the topic of race, it'll just set off firestorms and it won't make a – There'll be nothing productive coming out of that. I would say the broader principle is that the purpose of Asian Americans is to um, is, is to reflect the goodness of of white people, and in the context of liberals, the Asian woman is the most useful for that to protect the good whites. Yeah, they've been saved. They've been they've been cultured, accepted. Yeah, and it's it's very obvious. I mean, for me as an Asian woman, I got no benefit from from Sarah Jong having ascended to the New York Times. That's what they'll say she's there for, to raise up people around her, represent, you know, women in tech or what have you. And the opposite of that happened. My day-to-day life got noticeably worse as a result of her presence there, as a result of who she became in the media landscape. I mean, if, if a part of my job now, part of my career now is making appeasing white opinion of me, making them feel more comfortable around me, 
she this she was never meant to represent any of my interests. Yeah. And I'm not going after her personally because she has she had so little to do with it. It's the people who set her up to do this. I mean, the New York Times is failing is it's failing financially. <laughs> it's 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 struggling hard. Have they needed a controversy like this to send out a clear signal to you know educated liberals probably who are skewer, skewing younger these days to say hey subscribe to us we represent you we are willing to go to bat for you in our in our you know yeah but in a totally co-opted way like after they've in apologized a completely co-opted for the stuff, way right after they right. extract the apology so then they'll like you know so that now we've appeased the uh the white people who were like hey wait a minute um i i don't want to support a paper that actually does have someone who you know rabidly hates you know, my white guts. Now we have a nice soothing thing. Step back for a second. Just look at the overall optics of what happened. You have a increasingly, let's, I think you're right. I think the New York Times is failing to some extent uh, financially, but also just sort of in terms of its relevance to younger people. And what you have here optically, if you read the New York Times response is this, the, you know, the, the gray lady, right? Which is what they call this sort of staid, uh, you know, um, uh, just a very, it has a very old image, right? It's struggling to break into the new world, into the new age. Uh, you have a, you have a response optically, which is basically kind of the way a principal would be talking to, um, you know, a good student who did something bad. We talked about it. We knew about it. We looked in her records. We didn't condone it. But we think that based on her overall record, that she will be a valuable member of the editorial team, period. People want to get into the binary of are you going to fire or keep her as if that's what matters. And I'm like, no, it's the manner in which it's done. It's setting up and it's acculturating people and, and, and making them see the New York Times in this sort of authority position where, you know, you, you just you just imagine Sarah Jong at the interview and someone grilling like, oh, my God, Sarah, what is this? And she's like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I wouldn't do it again. And I'm like, this is our representation then? Like, this is supposed to be Asian female representation at the, quote, top, head lowered, kowtowing already, like, before she's even started the job just to keep the fucking job? They wanted that. Like, that is exactly the optics that they wanted, and they got it. And, you know, now the 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 consequences and the blowout from all that stuff are left with Asian Americans in general, and they're trying to, they're trying to outsource all the negative horrible shit that's going to come out because of her carelessness and you've got those little 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 battleships like Huffington Post circling around saying hey Asian Americans come over here look at this shit get in here and I'm like nah. fuck no that's not my fight <laughs> you know like fuck and off then to say, and then to say no this is some representation of pent up Asian rage no it's not she's not Sarah Jong is not picking up any she's not going to be on the front lines of any fight she has said she does not w want that fight. And then to then rally, to try to rally everyone by saying, hey, she's going to, you know, this is our path forward. We're going to break down the walls of white supremacy and, and battle our way. Like, how? She has said she regrets those actions. I just want to say we got to find uh, a new, like, adjective to describe the New York Times because I, I, I can't like take it seriously when someone says like the failing New York Times because it's just one of those words that Trump has taken hostage and no like 
serious person can say it now. Like call it the gray lady. I love that. The gray lady is is the perfect description of what they are. Graying, ex- you know, increasingly irrelevant. I mean, sure. I I didn't know that that's how they referred to the New York Times. I would have chosen a different way to describe it. But I mean, uh, I I mean, I know that in my personal experience, I have relied on the New York Times less and less as the years have gone by, as my you know uh, barometer of truth. You know. And to actually, and trusting them to actually have a solid finger on the pulse of, you know, society, politics, culture, things like that. It still has a lot of weight to me to see a thing get covered in the New York Times. But my opinion of that is more, it's, I would already have known about it before I read about it in the New York Times. And if I read about it, it's just to get a sense for what an older establishment uh, voice has to say about it. And to kind of compare and contrast where I stand. But the actual opinion shaping or the presentation of a thing to have an opinion on happens way sooner for most people, I think, in this demographic than uh, than the New York Times is able to do. So in that sense, they're kind of they're kind of co-opting transgression here. The 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 vanguard of the liberal, the extreme liberal left, they're kind of hitching their wagon to that and bringing it into the middle. So they're dragging their brand forward off the works of off off the reputation that Sarah people like Sarah Jong bring to the table. They want that little edgy factor, but they want to also say we have tamed that. We have we understand it. Uh, we we're not that. We're gonna hold, still keep that at arm's distance, but we're still gonna we're still gonna grant this person institutional protection, which in some sense means as long as they apologize it. and admit that they're wrong. Which is exactly what they want to what they want to extract. That, see, I think it's so hinging on that. Yeah, to say that they've they've they own it. They were able to extract this concession, this apology. And we're the headmaster, and you're the pupil. And Sarah Jong's position from there on is going to be the uh, you know the apt pupil. She's going to learn what it means to become a proper opinion giver. Which is a strange or it's gonna, thing it's a to do as an opinion giver. That. They're going to say, they're probably going to be giving her instruction by saying, you know, you speak your heart, you know, speak truth to power, fight, you know, fight the institutions and all of that. But they are the institution granting her permission to do this. So it's a, I think it's a very savvy PR move more than anything else. It's pretending to be for a truly liberal, truly radical agenda, but legitimizing it normalizing it giving it that that bringing it in under the control of a previously a previously powerful establishment i will say though there was one great shining moment the new york times had and that was when they mentioned plan a a few weeks ago <laughs> yes <laughs> all right um okay how about we transition and rage on something else uh namely the goddamn nfl which has just started i think the first preseason game uh happened right and uh, i mean i just i want to like just totally obliterated from my mind but uh my high school friends were in some fucking fantasy football league and for me this is the only real way for me to keep in touch with them because you know they they live all the way in in uh, canada but you know i I feel like so dirty being being a part of this horror show you know but just as somebody who is uh, do, do you follow any sports um sounds like a no period like i'll follow the world cup when it's around, I'll follow the the Olympics. If there's enough pageantry, I'll, I'll watch. All right. So as like a general non-sports fan, what's like your impression of football? 
it's gross <laughs> just the optics of it i can't i can't get over it a bunch of a bunch of chunky hicks cheering on cheering on like a che- cheering on a bunch of giant dudes bashing each other while approving rich people stand in the owner's box and nod and trade vast sums of money around with each other i i i come on no yeah like the nfl has the worst union it, it basically doesn't even have one you can get cut any time like if you if you happen to like like get your leg amputated on field because of an illegal hit They're like oh sorry you know all those millions we said we would give you fuck that uh enjoy life as like a beggar or whatever as like the most racist conservative owners coaches just general culture um it's, it's got that disgusting like uh incestuous relationship with the military where i heard there's actually like uh, a contract w- with uh, like various military organizations that every game they will have the flyover they'll have the marines come in with the flag and I think there was this college football coach, uh, I don't know his name, I think uh, recently he said something like, if, if as goes football goes like America's greatness, like their like military might comes from football. It's such bullshit. And, you know, I, I'm just like, I don't know, I've, I'm not a football hater. Like I grew up Redskins fans by yeah, default. I played high school football. Yeah. And uh, I've never been a huge fan, but like. It's just just watching the preseason games on yesterday and like the commentary around it, and I'm just like, it, you know, can we just finally face the f- just the, f- the truth that this game sucks? <laughs> like, are, are we ready to take that step? Like, nobody gives a f- this. First of all, it's in, just an incredibly boring sport to watch. It's a three hour game or whatever. There's probably like 22 minutes of actual action. Uh, you know, about half that time is is watched uh, with the medical team checking on whether someone um, is uh, concussed. You know, uh, or or the big the big dramas are like, oh, is he too injured to ever play again? You know, like the, and then the the, the critics that the, you'll run into these guys every now and then, where they'll admit the NFL sucks, but then they'll say that the college game is pure. I'm like, no, it's not. The college is just the fucking like D league for the NFL. Okay, yeah, did you, and it's also just as bad. And just like morally, you hear the shit that went on with Urban Meyer and and how he covered up for the domestic abuse. Obviously, the, the paternal fucking scandal. par for the course, paterno. And then like my school, they just they just uh, they hired uh, DJ Durkin, who I think worked for Urban Meyer before, which is why we hired him. And he was basically just fucking running. A, like an abuse camp, and then he ended up killing his nineteen-year-old uh, offensive lineman. Uh, and he he just ran. They were shitting. You know, they were just completely abusing these kids. And you know, the second that they cry out in pain or anything like that because their bot their core temperature is over a hundred degrees, um, they just call them little bitches and they make them run more. Kid dies. The team has a meeting saying, "Hey, maybe we shouldn't do the the the, the drills anymore." They go right back into it. And the school now, I'm like talking to friends and stuff, and they're like, oh, what does this mean? Maryland football is never going to be good. I'm like, you know what? Fuck Maryland football. You know, fuck the Terps. All right. Fuck that whole program. Ever since they hooked up with Kevin Plank and they had this big thing where they wanted to turn the school into a football powerhouse, the school's been completely overrun with this bullshit culture of football, and it leads to kids dying. So fuck the Terps. The, the New York Giants ball. have this new uh, uh, running back. His name's uh, Saquon Barclay. But he, he actually had this one impressive run on like his first play uh, in preseason. Everyone's so excited for him. But I can't get excited for him because I know that in like three years, he'll like 
lose both his knees. And remember when RG3 was supposed to be a big thing? He's like almost literally a bum now. <laughs> he just like can't get a job anywhere. It's, it's, it's it horrific. destroys lives. And you literally have football players shooting themselves in the fucking chest so that they could finally like stop gaslighting them about the fact that their brains are fucked up. People are still like, I eh, wonder how the Jets are going to do. <laughs> like, fuck you. You got People got to stop watching football, man. Just stop. I don't know. It's just so pervasive. It's hard to avoid. It's kind of like meat. Like, it's just, you know, it's so, it's so easy just to kind of fall into the sort of like, it's, it's an incredibly boring thing to be an NFL fan. So it's just like, it's, it's so easy to be pulled back into that culture. And I love sports. Every other sport, pretty much okay with me. You got problems with basketball, the recruiting, the money, the whatever. It's okay. No one's fucking dying like this, you know? Watch ICE make that part of like their, like arrest guideline, bad mouthing football. Yeah, probably. We, we, we These gotta are watch all ex football players. Probably half of the fucking ICE, you know, ICE agents have CTE or some shit. It's probably a requirement. <laughs> fucking shit. Anyway. All right. Fuck um, football. <laughs> all right. Uh, it's at the, oh, we're right at the one hour mark. Hi, and thanks for listening to Escape from Plan A. This was our podcast on the Sarah Jong incident with Teen and Jess. Um, if you like us, please subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and give us a great review if you like us. Five stars, you know the, you know the drill. We also have articles up on www.planamag.com. So, okay, we'll see you guys next week. Later, all. You got so much to prove, hoping they approve. The only thing that's true is all you ever do is do. You're moving shoe to shoe, but you're not going. You stop growing the moment that you stay at the top. The only way is to.